Hello, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. Hello, 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 welcome. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dancefish.com. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That is 9 Eastern for those that are mountain challenged, and I'm glad you could join us. Today we've got a pretty cool giveaway. We're going to tell you the shipping report as we do every week, let you know how shipping fish went this week, if we lost anything, if we didn't, all that stuff. And I've got some pretty exciting news from just a little tidbit from another uh, area of my life that I'll be, I'll be sharing with you. Uh, just, just something real quick. We, we, we'll stay pretty well on fish topics, but, but something cool is happening. Um, am I too dark again? Or are we okay? We're good? Okay. All right. I think we're good. All right. Well, let's get going. Let's start with our shipping report. I am thrilled to announce there have been no losses that I know of since I talked to you uh, last week. We keep a pretty good tally on that. So um, when we ship our fish to our customers, if our customers respond when the fish arrive and let us know if something happened that's wrong, we keep track of all that so we can see if, uh, if we're being successful at getting you guys nice, healthy fish that thrive. And uh, according to our customer reports, no issues since I last talked to you. Um, now, sometimes a customer doesn't give us the report and something happened. And, you know, in that case, I can't know. But from all reported information we have, we are 100 um, percent. If that's wrong, if like I missed, I forgot you or, or something happened and I've just forgotten, please let me know. Call me out in the chat. But I think that that is accurate. Um, Moving on to the giveaway then. So this is a cool one, at least I think so. This is for some black paradise fish. Now, most of us know the blue paradise fish, right? The, the common paradise fish that we find in, in all the pet stores, big box stores, like they're very, very common. In fact, they were the first species of, I guess you call them tropical. <laughs> <laughs> They're more like subtropical, but of tropical aquarium fish that was uh, brought back in, in bred um, in the Western world, as far as I know, besides like goldfish and things like that. Maybe not the Western world, maybe just in the United States. But anyway, they're one of the firsts. They brought them back in like tin cans on boats. And since they can breathe atmospheric air, they're a gourami. Um, you know, they, they travel pretty well. So they were hardy enough to make that trip. One of the first fish early hobbyists kept um, of the quote unquote tropical variety, even though they're up in like, I believe they're up in like South Korea and it gets pretty darn cold there. Like they can, they can take cold weather. But this is a, and they have the, the albino form and lots of forms of that, of that species. Um, what is it, a perculus or something like that? Um, but this one is Macropodus specti. And let me show you these guys. These are a super, super pretty fish. Um, the males get these nice long extensions. They'll get them on the caudal fin, the anal fin, and the dorsal fin. The fish is named Macropodus for these long ventral fins that they get. Ours look like, let's see, there's a picture of ours somewhere here. Ours are youngsters. They're not colored up for spawning or anything like that. So here they are. Here's a picture of what ours look like. Although this picture was taken a little while ago. They've got a lot more color than that now. Um, we need to update the pictures when we find a moment. But they're, they're juveniles, mostly brown. You can see some of the color coming in. And they actually look a lot better now. But what they'll turn into when they're 
all growed up are these these really pretty um, black paradise fish. Like the tail, it looks like a spider web to me. Kind of that same pattern that an orb weaver or something would make. Now they're also in the literature, if you're researching these guys, um, they're often called Macropodus concolor, but they're actually specti. I'm not sure if concolor is a different species or an invalid species name. I really don't know. Um, but these ones are, as far as we can tell, the Macropodus. And there are several species of wild type paradise fish. This is a different one. See how this tail is nice and smooth, this spade tail? This is not a Macropodus. I forget the name of what this is, um, but the, the uh, or it is a Macropodus, that's the genus. This is not Specti. This is Macropodus something else. So the Specti have these, look for these comb tails, these extensions on the fins. See that kind of like really neat kind of almost crown tail type, type tail. That's what we're doing. The good news about these guys is they don't get too big, maybe three, four inches. Um, well, with that big extension on the tail, maybe four inches, but body size, we're talking about three inches or so. Kind of like, I guess, your, your more common um, species that's been around forever. What is that? Is it a percula? Okay, now I have to know. A percularis. Okay, this one. This is the one we all know and love. And it's called a percularis, I believe, for this spot on the operculum, on the gill cover here that they that they have. Really pretty fish, really nice that's one heck of a saturated photo. Um, <laughs> and I don't know why they do that. This fish really doesn't need gimmicks like that. They really are really pretty, pretty fish. But anyway, this is one we all know and love. Yeah, they look every bit that good when, when they display. display. Um, so they get about the same size as uh, a percularis. But what we have is specti. The other thing that's nice about them is they, um, they're they not nearly as aggressive as like a bed of splendens or something. You can keep a group of these together. When they go to spawn, there'll be aggression, um, like, like lots of different fish. Anything that creates a little spawning territory or nest um, and protects the eggs or the young is going to be a little territorial at spawning time, uh, as opposed to like your egg scatterers or other fish like corridors that just throw the egg somewhere and then leave. Anything that actually cares for the eggs or the young will be territorial at spawning time. These are no different, but besides that, they can be kept in groups. Um, and they're an anabantoid, just like a bed of splendens or any of the other gouramis. So that's what the giveaway is for. I think we'll send you three of these, um, three to six, something like that. And if you would like to enter to win them, then super easy. Hashtag paradise. So enter hashtag paradise in the chat. Hashtag P-A-R-A-D-I-S-E in the chat. And you'll be entered to win um, some Macropoda specti, the black paradise fish. I don't know. Is it sometimes called the comb tail paradise fish? Or is that something else altogether? I'm not quite sure. So that's what's going on for the giveaway. Shipping report was 100%. So that was good. Now, something that's going on in another part of my life, just, just really quickly, we're very excited. We developed a play um, with my good friend, Mark Saltzman, he's the playwright, a few years ago, and then it opened off-Broadway and then COVID came and it got shut down, which was horrible. But I'm happy to report 
But we've now learned that Romeo and Bernadette, the play, it's a fun musical, it's great for the whole family, is going to um, going to launch again, um, and previews will begin in early May. So that's awesome. If you're in the New York or New Jersey area and can make it over to Broadway-ish, off-Broadway, um, RomeoandBernadette.com is where you can get preview tickets for like 25 bucks. That is really good. It's a really good price for, for a show like that. Anyway, I won't spend too much time on that other than to say I helped develop that show. Uh, it, it's my good friend Mark Saltzman's show. I've worked with him for many years. Um, he was kind of my mensch, uh, my mentor in theater and the performing arts is in the entertainment industry and all that as I was cutting my teeth on it back in college. And uh, I love the guy. I think he does amazing work. And I think this is a great play. And Justin Ross, the director, fantastic fella as well. So anyway, for anyone that might be out there and want to go catch a show, I think it's a good one. <laughs> but I'm a little biased. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> so anyway, for those that don't know, that's that's kind of my background. Entertainment industry, uh, theater professor and producer of in development of, of new plays, new musicals, stuff like that. So it's kind of nice when one of your uh, shows gets off Broadway and it's slated to go to Broadway. So we're pretty confident this one will get there. Anyway, back to fish. Sorry to digress, but that was just too exciting not to share. Um, the other thing for those that have not been paying attention, just real quick, the new fish warehouse build is coming along fantastically. And um, we have pretty much all of the aquariums, all the new aquariums um, plumbed, set up on their racks and ready to go. The only thing of the new aquariums that is not up there is I did crack a few while I was drilling them. I was a naughty boy. I think I cracked, I think five out of 330 tanks, um, which I just had one... <laughs> poor Jonathan was there doing it with me, random arms. Um, one day we're like, I just couldn't get it right. I just, I cracked one, the first batch. And then the second batch I cracked, like, I think I cracked the rest of them, the four of them. But the good news is all those are cracked in such a way that they can be patched. So I've got to strip the silicone, get a patch, put it in, re-silicone everything drill a hole in the patch and they'll be ready to go. So they aren't a complete waste, but yes, I did. I broke a few. I was doing so good. The first half of the tanks, one, one cracked. Second round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> but anyway, the warehouse is almost done. We will have occupancy after the flues that, you know, exhaust the fumes from the, um, boilers that heat our water as soon as those are complete they're waiting on one part Ugh. <laughs> just waiting on a part one piece of flu so they can finish it up um so as soon as that comes hopefully this week maybe next week um we will be able to get that inspected and then get our general inspection and get occupancy of the building now we've kind of cheated we've been in there working on it but you know, getting set up and everything. So I'm glad we did so we could get a little head start on things. So as soon as we have occupancy, you know, we're ready to go. The other thing though, that we're still waiting on is the water supply to be finished. The weather here has not been cooperating. 
Um, I don't know if they'll be done this week or not, like they say. Um, I'd be a little surprised to tell you the truth. But hopefully within the next week or two, seven to 14 days, something like that, hopefully the water supply is done. They have been out there working as they can. But today the high was 15 degrees, the low was negative seven. Um, but it's funny, like on the hot days, they're like, oh, it's too muddy. We got to wait for it to cool down and freeze a little bit. And then on the cold days, it's like, oh, it's too cold. We have to wait for it to heat up a little bit. So I don't know. Apparently there's this very narrow threshold where, uh, where they want to do the, the dirt work to get that done. But um, those are the only two things. Um, one piece on a flue that needs to be completed. As soon as that arrives, I'll get that done. And uh, the finishing of the um, water supply, it's technically, I think it's called a surface well. Um, they have been working on it, so there has been progress, but it's not done enough that we can turn on the pipes yet. So we're so close. Now that we're done, what we can do as far as getting our tank set up in the warehouse, like there's really nothing else for us to do in there. Our, our water loop is complete. Our air loop is complete. The water and air supply lines have been run to the tanks. The drain lines have been put on the tanks, all the bulkheads and everything. And the major drain plumbing that the drain hoses uh, from each individual tank feed into, that's all plumbed in. I guess we need to cap those. So there is one little thing we can do. We can put caps in those big four inch drain pipes. Um, so I guess there's, I don't know, an hour's of work that we can, an hour's worth of work roughly to do. Besides that, we're pretty much done. And so now that that's done, I'm getting really antsy. Like while we were in there able to get, get set up and work on it and make progress, it felt really good. But we got out of there uh, Saturday was, we finished up, we got all cleaned out, got all of our building equipment stuff out of there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if you've ever been here when like, I know I always felt the same when uh, when a production closed, when I was producing um, like theater and a play would close or something. It's like, oh, man, that's weird. Like a big part of my life, just like kind of something that took a lot of my time and energy and thought is kind of gone. <laughs> just just like that. Same with this warehouse. So I'm really antsy. I want to get in there and get the next step set up. And so the next thing we're going to do, just for those that are wondering, is so we have 330 aquariums set up in there right now and just waiting for the water supply and this boiler to be flued, vented properly. As soon as that happens and we can turn on the system and make sure it's all stable and stuff, then we'll start taking fish from here um, in the basement here and in the annex upstairs um, out there and putting them in tanks and making sure that they do well. And as soon as we know that the fish that we take out there are doing well, then we'll take the rest of the fish out there that we have and start ordering and filling it up. Once all the fish are moved out of the basement and the annex, then we have to tear down all these aquariums and um, move them over as well because there's uh, about 40 um, 75 gallon aquariums and 81 40 gallon breeders that still need to move over there. So we've still got some more work to do, but we really can't do it right now because we can't move the fish over there until that system's set up. So that's kind of where we're at. But the end's in sight. It's really close. Just those two things, and then we'll be set. So that's the update on the uh, on the warehouse. So 
So my life's pretty awesome. I've got a fish warehouse almost done. I'm antsy till I get in there, but you know, that's pretty cool. Um, got a play I developed opening off Broadway. Like it's good. It's busy, but life is good. Hope you guys are having a good one too. That's what's going on in my neck of the woods. I, I want to find out what's going on in your neck of the woods. So if you have a comment or a question for me, please uh, type it in the in the uh, chat here. If you would be so kind as to put the at symbol dance fish or type in dance fish and select it from the menu that pops up, then, then these bright orange boxes will appear and I'll know that your question or comment is for me as opposed to all this chat you know, that people are doing amongst themselves. So that would be helpful. So if you have a question or comment for me, type in at symbol Dan's fish. Um, leave me your question and comment so I can find out what's going on with you and answer any questions about aquariums, aquarium keeping, building a fish room, building a fish store, I guess now. Um, breeding fish, raising fish, shipping fish is something that I, I am uh, well qualified to speak on. I, I, I know shipping fish pretty darn well. Um, all that stuff. We can geek out about fish, freshwater fish, saltwater fish. I don't know anything about plants. I'm a complete novice at, I don't have any knowledge about plants, but most freshwater fish I can, I can hopefully geek out with you about. Before we do that though, I want to thank my moderators for being here and doing what they do every week. Thanks so much guys for showing up, um, every week and making this stream work. We appreciate it. Couldn't do without you. And we have some super chats to acknowledge. Thank you so much, Alexander Engelhart. Have waited on three fire marshals for occupancy permits this year. Everyone delayed things last second. Good luck. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what it's like. I what? So when I met Alexander um, at Fishtoberfest, he was in the process of looking for a, a, a location and all that. So I, I know that Alexander, that you've been through this. Yep. <laughs> The nice thing is I live in a little town of less than 18,000 people. So if someone's holding things up, I'll call their mother. <laughs> Miss Jones, your son, you know that cool thing I was telling you about? Yeah. 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 Let's do lunch. Let's do lunch next week. Well, anyway, your son hasn't come to inspect it yet. So I can't open the place up. Sure would be nice if that happened. Oh, you would? Oh, you'll talk to him. Oh, thanks, Miss Jones. How's Tuesday of next week for lunch? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and a super chat. Thank you so much from Kelly Foreman. Here's to life being good. Cheers to all. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot going on right now in the world. I know times are crazy and people have a lot to be anxious about and all that. But for me, things are at the moment going pretty well. I mean, I've got the Lacey Act to wonder about and I've got all these other things. But so I, I want to talk about the Lacey Act a little bit and what we've decided to do at our company. So for those that don't know, there is some add-ons to the Lacey Act being kind of snuck into the America Competes bill that passed in the House and is now for consideration in the Senate. I won't be long on this, folks, because I know half of you, or most of you, have heard it a million times and are sick of it. For anyone not aware, um, there is, it's a, it's an act which could 
really, really curtail this, the kinds of fish we can keep our, in our aquariums. It, it, worst case scenario, we couldn't keep fish anymore. That's probably not going to happen. But it's, it's basically this legislation, this part of an act that would give full power to the Secretary of the Interior to declare without just by themselves, without having to check with anyone or go through any kind of process and tell us these fish are legal to keep. Everything else is not keep to transport. Nothing else is legal to transport. And if you can't transport things, then you basically made them illegal because no one can get a hold of them if they can't be moved across state lines or brought into the country or whatever. You think your local fish farm or local fish store, I mean, is getting their fish locally? Well, that would be nice, but they probably have to bring a lot of stuff in from at least from Florida in order to have the uh, the fish they need, right? So it's going to curtail the hobby quite a bit. So for those that don't know about this, um, we did a full live stream about it a couple live streams ago. It's the one with the thumbnail of the L46 Zebra Pleco. If you don't know about the Lacey Act and, you're, and the problems with it and you're just finding out about it, or if you're confused by it and don't know what is going on um, or haven't heard the details, please check that live stream out. Um, because that I think we, we had a guest on, which was the vice president of government, government affairs from PJAC. Um, so we were able to get real information instead of just what's going, what's being talked about by semi-informed people, let's say on YouTube or Facebook or, or whatever. So check that out. And if you would be so kind as to contact your two senators, if you've not done that yet, and let them know, I mean, look, I like keeping aquarium fish. Please remove the language regarding the Lacey Act from the America Competes Bill. Um, it's only like a page of language that they'd have to take out of an almost 3,000-page piece of legislation. But anyway, so that's been something that, like, how do you handle that, right? Well, the odds are, hopefully it won't pass. Right. Hopefully they, they take that language out. I'm sure that lots of pet keepers and fish keepers and all kinds of people that like pets are contacting and, and lobbying for that. It's like, yes, if you want, have the bill that you need, but take out this little piece of language. So I don't hopefully it won't go through. If it does, then the ramifications are going to be, I would assume, large, but I don't think they're going to say you can't keep any aquarium fish. I'm sure they're going to come up with a whitelist. So we've just decided as a company how to handle that because we've already contacted our senators. We've already rallied as many of our viewers and supporters and fans or customers or whatever as we can to contact their senators. And hopefully you have, and hopefully you've heard back, but that's kind of what we can do. And I try in life to not stew and um, get hung up on things I can't control. I try to find out what can I control, what can I do, do that, and then try to do that to the best of my ability and then move on, move forward, right? Because there's nothing else I can do and sitting there worrying about it isn't going to help. So that's where I'm at. I've contacted my representatives. I've written them. 
I did the PJAC form, which if my mods could link that form, that'd be great. If they could link the, the live stream with Bob uh, Likens from PJAC, that would be great. Um, they probably already have. I'm way behind in the chat. They're, they're just that good. But anyway, um, I've done that. I've written my senators. I've called them. I've invited them to come see the new warehouse build and take a tour so I can explain in detail what we're doing and show them the scale of things and all that. Talk about the economic impact on the, our local area, all those things. Um, now there's really nothing else I can do. Oh, there is one more thing I'm doing, which you guys haven't heard of yet, but I'm, I'm consulting with my um, state fish and wildlife officers <laughs> um, to their... To, to see how we can like handle new regulations and things like that. Um, so I've had a couple meetings with them. Um, they've asked me to consult and they're sending me drafts as they try to get the language together on their end. So I'm doing that as well. Not much else I can do besides that and trying to get you guys to get activated and contact your senators. So what we've decided is what's going to happen is if there is a whitelist, we're just going to be the best at doing what we do. Like, let's say that all you can keep is goldfish and guppies. I don't think that's what'll happen. There'll probably be more than that. But let's say that that's what happens. All you can keep, all you can transport is goldfish and guppies. Well, there's a lot of kinds of guppies. There's lots of kinds of goldfish. And we'll just continue being the best at what we do, focusing on goldfish and guppies. Like, that's really the only thing I think, the only logical way to... Uh, react, is that the term, to deal with what's going on in, in the legislation, do everything we can to combat it and get it changed. And beyond that, our, our mission is to get healthy fish to our customers that thrive long term, right? To, to change the narrative in the aquarium industry from, yeah, I used to have fish, but they all died. So I don't keep fish anymore to, yes, I love my fish. Like I get home from work and I watch the tank for 10 minutes and it soothes me and calms me. My heart rate drops, my stress drops, and I'm a better, you know, husband or wife or partner or uncle or friend or whatever um, citizen, you know, because of it. That's, that's, that's the story we want to tell. So anyway, that's where we're at. We're done worrying about it. We've done all that we can do. We're going to move forward and we're going to, as they say in the tech field, crush it. <laughs> Such a weird term. Um, how are you doing, man? I'm totally crushing it. Anyway, we're going to just be the top of the game, Do continue to fulfill our mission with whatever fish we can transport across state lines. So that's how we're going to approach it um, because literally there's nothing else we can do. So that's where we're at as a company. We're Right now, I, I truly believe, and I don't mean to like offend anyone by saying this who works hard at their business doing fish or whatever but i truly believe that we've set the bar for how we source our fish how we receive our fish how we care for our fish and how we transport our fish to our customers and hopefully our customer um, service as well but at least the fish side i think we set the bar on that and we'll continue to do that with as many fish as we can so that's how we're handling it anyway with that by the way, Alexander, if you're still waiting on any fire marshals for occupancy permits, I hope it ends soon. <laughs> I feel the pain. With that, I'm going to get to your questions and comments, which I was going to do a while ago, wasn't I? 
<laughs> Getting started on the Lacey Act. <laughs> you ought to know better. You're all like, we didn't do that, Dan. You did that. Yeah, I know. All by myself. <laughs> Dragon layer. Combtail is a different species. Oh, okay. Let me let me see this. Combtail. I'm just curious. That's what I thought. Combtail paradise. Let's see, which one is that? Oh, it looks like it's also a different genus. Is that this guy? Bellontia signata. Bellontia sig. What is this sucker? Is this more like a climbing perch? Species of Garami. Okay, yeah, look at that. So it looks like the comb tail is not just a different species, but also a different genus. Look at this guy. What a unique fish. I don't think I've ever seen this fish in uh, in person. So that's cool. Thanks, Patrick, for uh, bringing that to my attention. I love it when you learn different things. Yeah, this never gets old. One reason, I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years, this aquarium fish keeping and breeding and distributing. And I worked in aquarium stores and all levels of the industry pretty much. And um I still learn new things all the time. So it's it's pretty cool. Xanadu, congrats. On, oh, on the play? Yeah, thanks, Xanadu. Xanadu do, to be precise. Yeah. Geek Boy, so cool. Congrats on the play. Thank you, thank you. I think it's gonna make it. I think it's a good one. I've I've developed a lot of plays and a lot of musicals. This one has all the elements. It's gonna I think it's gonna make it. Crayon Tell Half Moon. Need advice. What method or cure for bloated male adult betas? It's been so since Saturday, now seeing slightly raised scales. Ooh, please help. So Crown Tail Half Moon, um, the standard disclaimer, I'm not a veterinarian and totally unqualified to talk about prescribe or diagnose fish. However, with bloat, bloat is not a disease, it's a symptom. And um, there could be lots of different things causing it. It's, it's like a lot of the problems with fish. It's like, Hey, I see this thing happening with my fish. What is it? I want to help it. And of course we do, right? We care about our fish. The problem is we don't know what's causing it. It's like, if you called a friend and said, I have a rash, what's causing it? What should I do? Well, there's many, many different things that could cause rashes, right? You could have chicken pox, you could have an allergy, you could have bug bites, you could have, you know, poison ivy. Um, there's, there's lots of things that can cause a rash. So that's the problem I run into. Well, that and a complete lack of knowledge and qualification when with, with helping you with the bloated bed, I'm not sure what it could be. What I will say is often what that signifies is that the fish is no longer able to maintain osmotic homeostasis. So Fish are salty, right? Their blood is salty, about the same saltiness as the ocean. Go figure. And um, they're surrounded by fresh water. So there's, there's this constant pressure on the fish and its cells to accept more fresh water. Because osmotic pressure, as we learned in high school chemistry or biology, um, you want to equalize that salinity 
by bringing more fresh water into the organism, right? That's what nature wants to do. That's what the environment wants to do. So it wants to flood the creature, the little fish with water. So this amount of salt inside the fish is more equal to the amount of salt outside the fish in the freshwater environment. When a fish gets really ill or some other things can happen, severely stressed or a specific organ could shut down or things like that, um, it can no longer fight the pressure of the fresh water that wants to come into its body. And therefore, it gets bloated because a bunch of fresh water floods into the body of the fish. So that's one thing that can cause bloat. Another thing can be, especially if you're getting the raised scales, the pine coning, we often call it dropsy, um, which again is just a symptom. It's not a disease. It's just showing that something is going on. Um, it can also be, I don't know, maybe it's some kind of organ failure. I don't know if kidneys or liver or what. Um, but usually by the time they're bloating and pine coned, unfortunately, it's pretty severe. And the odds of them recovering for that are not, not very good. However, they're not zero. So a couple things. If this was my fish, again, not a veterinarian, but here's what I would try. First, I would make sure the environment's really clean. The water parameters are good. There's not a buildup of nitrogen that... It, or nitrogenous waste that is also trying to invade the cells, right? With this weakened animal. Next, I would check the temperature and I'd raise it to about 86 degrees or so. You know, gradually, I'm not gonna take it if it's cooler than that and just drop it into hot water, but I'm gonna gradually raise the temperature up to about 86 degrees for a bedding. Now, provided that I've cleaned the environment well, and let's say I don't have any plants in there, if I did, I'd remove them then I'd probably put in um, five grams of salt per liter of water. So five parts per thousand NaCl, right? So sodium chloride, table salt basically, to help with osmotic pressure. Because if you make this, the environment around the fish a little bit salty, then there's gonna be less pressure, osmotic pressure trying to force water into the fish. So that's where I would start. Um, if you want to go a step further, then you could set up a little hospital tank, bare glass, aged gassed off water, five grams of salt per liter. So five parts per thousand salt dissolved into the water, 86 degrees. And I personally would use nitrofurazone and canamycin, two antibiotics. I'd use them together as per the instructions, um, on the bottle or on the, sometimes they sell them in little tablets or whatever. Um, the reason for that is canamycin is very effective at going inside the fish. A lot of the antibiotics and other treatments of medicines we use don't really absorb internally into the fish. They kind of get around the fish and on the skin and stuff, but they don't necessarily get absorbed into the gills or make it into the insides of the fish where the problem probably is in a case where you have severe bloat. So those two antibiotics in conjunction are, have a synergetic relationship. They work really well together. And the canamycin, I mean, it's a long shot, but it at least get internally into the fish if there's some kind of infection causing this that happens to be um, sensitive to canamycin, then it could help. 
So that, that's my thoughts, Crown Tail Half Moon. I wish I had better news. Again, that's how I would treat a beta if it was in my care and I saw this situation. Um, but I, I can't tell you what you should do because I'm not qualified to do that. I can just tell you this is what I would do in my situation. And my best to you, it's never, it's never fun when, when our animals, when our pets have trouble like that. Liquid Zoo only fins. Patching glass, you say? You'll have to make a video at least pics of that. Do I have... I've done this before on a couple 75s that I also broke. Um, but okay. Yeah, I might I might do that. It just real, real in summary, you're basically resealing the aquarium. And while you're doing it, you're also adding a, a square of glass or acrylic or whatever to patch over the part where the, the nick is. Um, it's like a crack that goes from, it's kind of just in the upper corner around the, the hole I drilled. So you, you reseal it, you strip out the aquarium silicone, you reseal the aquarium, and while you're doing it, you add a patch. And then when that's done, you drill through the patch, and voila, you have a patch with a, uh, with a hole in it for a drain. But yeah, I might be able to make a video of that. The Midnight Lobster, the Heroes Notatus Severus, Severum, <laughs> Severus, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we're right to Harry Potter. I got from you paired off and I've got a bunch of fried. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that, the Midnight Lobster. Goal. <laughs> I love it when people breed fish and get babies. That's what I love about the hobby more than anything. I like breeding and raising fish. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you're successful doing that. That's awesome. Crown tail half moon. What do you do to repair a cracked tank? So kind of just talked about it. it only works though. If the crack is small enough that you can actually cover it completely with the new piece of glass or acrylic or whatever. Um, there are two tanks that we lost because, uh, during shipment to us, they were destroyed by the trucking company. It's like the whole panel of glass on one side is completely shattered. That I'm not going to repair, but a little crack by where I drilled a hole for the bulkhead. Yeah, I can get a little piece of glass, strip out the silicone, put it in while I reseal the tank, drill a new hole, and you're good to go. Fishaholic. And the problem is new silicone and old silicone don't stick to each other. So that's why you have to kind of strip out the old silicone and reseal the tank. There's, there's no situation I know of yet where you can have a crack and just run a bead of silicone across it because as soon as that new silicone touches the old silicone, you'll get a leak in that spot. It's kind of a pain in the rear end, but gotta gotta strip it out. Fishaholic, howdy, and to the fish fan, fam. Love the warehouse video, man. The technology and the equipment you're using is beyond something awesome and best wishes, but thanks, Fishaholic. We're, uh, we're excited about it. This is, uh, the moment of truth is coming. I'm hopeful we turn that on. We get nice, clean water coming out at the right temperature continually. <laughs> like, <laughs> ooh, it's, it's, I'm going to be a bit of a nervous Nelly until we turn it on. Everything's balanced and I know it works. Um, I'm sure it will. But I'll feel much better when it's working because, you know, it's been engineered and there's plans on paper and you, you can see the equipment and how it's all going to work and everything. But... I feel a lot better when I know it's working like we thought it would. Gold Nugget, Pleco, Tetra, and it jumped. Sorry, chat just jumped on me. Let me try to find this. 
Um, don't want to leave, what was it, Golden Nugget Pleco Tetra? So, South American fish fam. <laughs> All right, hang on. I'm looking. Okay. It cut off. So, I'm sorry. The, the, the next one I can see, like, scrolling up as far as I can, and it won't let me scroll up any further than this one. The next one I can see is from Ash M. So anyone that left a question or comment above the one I'm about to read, um, I'm sorry, chat jumped. I can no longer see it. So please feel free to post it again. Ash M, is there any chance you will be restocking some teardrop gobies? I'd love to purchase some from you. Yes, we do plan on doing that. I actually ordered some um, that I was hoping would come in our shipment, our, our import in February, but they got shorted. So I'll keep ordering them, but you gotta understand that goby comes from a place where there aren't, there is no like fish collecting infrastructure. It's like a very remote place. They were only discovered very recently. And to get them, my guys kind of got to make a trip through the jungle and go get them, right? <laughs> like it's not like a lot of fish where there's supply lines set up in a fairly steady, depending on the season, you know, you have to be responsible. So some sometimes you can't harvest during breeding season or such, or sometimes during a rainy season, you just can't get to the fish. There's too much water. They're too dispersed. There's all kinds of things that go into it. But for a lot of fish, they're either bred um, in aquariums or bred on farms and pretty steady supply. Or if they're harvested from the wild, and almost all freshwater fish are harvested very sustainably from the wild. Um, there's supply line set up for that. So uh, of the, okay, I got to clarify something. The vast majority of fish in the aquarium hobby, the freshwater aquarium hobby, I don't know as much about saltwater. Um, I just don't know much about that industry at all. But in freshwater, almost all of them, the vast majority are raised on farms in aquariums or ponds and things like that. So only a small percentage of the fish are harvested from the wild. But of those that are, almost all are very sustainably harvested. And um, there are supply lines for those. But those teardrop gobies are from a remote area with, with very little infrastructure. And they're not a goby that you can breed. Maybe you can, like crack that code. But they're, they're one of those gobies that the eggs and the, the little larvae have like a, a salt water part of their life cycle. The adults are in fresh water. There's, I forget the fancy term for that, but um, so there's this whole thing you would have to do with salinity and little, the food of these things when they're in the planktonic stage, plank, planktonic. Yeah. When they're plankton, part of the plankton cloud, if you will, um, you got to feed them this tiny, tiny stuff. They don't have well-developed mouths or anything. So they're really hard. They, they're not something that's bred in captivity. So you have a distant fish, no supply lines, you know, reliably set up out in the jungle um, that you can't breed well in captivity. So imagine, you know, supplies are low. It's not something that there's a steady stream of. Swamp three, sw I almost, <laughs> swamp thring. There's now an R in thing, folks. We changed it to thring. <laughs> swamp thing. 
There we go. You inspired me to move to a small town, so I'm moving to a town of less than 15,000 folks in Wyoming. Oh, in Florida. Okay. <laughs> I already subscribed to the local paper. New parking meter proposed for 3rd Street. I love it. Yes. <laughs> we don't have any parking meters in my town. We used to have a, uh, what would that be? Like a meter made, if you will, to because there's portions of the street where you're not supposed to park during certain hours of the night and stuff like that. Um, so there was someone that would go around and write you tickets for that. But uh, she died a while back and was never replaced. So <laughs> small towns for you. Yeah. So, you know, in small town newspapers, you know, boy does well. You saved a kitten from the tree. You know, what's the local Girl Scout troop doing? You know, the high school volleyball team. Yeah, it's it's a different world. <laughs> Welcome to small town life, my friend. Crypt Keeper Aquatics had a beta for a month, 10 gallon tank by himself, parameters normal, lounging on the bottom for the past two days, still eating and playing with mirror, but not active. Should I be concerned? Anything I can do to help? I would be concerned. Um, first thing to check, you say parameters are normal. I don't know what that means exactly, but if the parameters like nitrates and all that ammonia and stuff are good. So zero ammonia, zero nitrite and um, an acceptable level of nitrate if that's what we're talking about parameters next thing to check is temperature these guys like it hot i'd raise that temperature up to about 86 degrees um especially if they're fighting an illness now i'm not saying that you have to keep your bed as long term forever and always at 86 degrees i'm just saying when a bed is ill or not doing well that that's a very happy temperature for them but anything from like 82 to 86 degrees is pretty good for a bed long term i think but a lot of times, so bettas are super hardy. But here's what happens. You ever walked into like Petco and they've got all their bettas in these little containers just out on shelves? Like they're at room temperature. What are they, 70 degrees maybe? Like that's not good. And they're super hardy. So they'll act fine there for quite a while. But eventually it'll catch up with them. There's certain um, bodily functions, certain functions... Okay, how far do we want to get into this? Okay, there's certain things that a beta can only accomplish in its at the cellular level and in its body at the correct temperature. There's enzymes and things that just aren't going to work very well at the wrong temperature. So over time, it will wear on the fish. And I think, I think, bettas in particular are often kept at the wrong temperature because a they're kept at the wrong temperature at the big box store. And B, you take it home and you put it in a little, I don't know, vase or bowl or something on your dresser because it's cute. But it's not going to be warm enough there because you probably don't have a heater in it that you can set at a good temperature. So that's the other thing. And I don't know you, Crypt Keeper Aquatics. I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm just saying in general, I think that bettas are almost always kept too cold because they're almost always kept without a heater. So... That would be the other thing. If the chemistry of the water is fine, I would check the temperature and bump it up. And if that's fine, then the other things I talked about with the bloated beta are probably apropos minus the antibiotics. Um, I wouldn't just jump into antibiotics. Uh, with a bloated fish, yeah, I mean, that fish is already severely um, compromised and probably has some kind of internal issue. So I would jump on 
antibiotics. But for your fish, I would salt really helps, heat really helps, and uh, keeping those that water nice and clean. I'm not saying sterile environment. You probably want some biological activity if there's a filter in there and stuff. Um, that's the other thing. Like, is this one of those containers where it's just just a no filter or anything like that, and you just rely on frequent water changes, or is this a bioactive system? Like, are there plants? Like, I don't know the system, but heat helps, salt helps, five grams per liter. A lot of people put in way too little salt to do any good, and um, clean water. David W., any updates on the mini snowballs and, and the issue they had? If when will they be available on the site? Yeah, they're good to go. They've grown enough and fattened enough that we're comfortable selling them. Um, a lot of the mini snowballs and the ocelot plecos came in really small. Like some of the ocelots, we're talking like, I don't know, maybe half an inch. And so when things are that small and skinny and stuff, I'm not comfortable selling them. But the mini snowballs are ready to list. Um, there are some ocelots that are ready to list and they're on the list to list. <laughs> so they'll be up really soon. Uh, and they've been ready for a few weeks. Now they're fat, they're sassy, they're... I think they're going to do really well for you. So they're ready, David. They've grown enough and fattened up enough and are stable enough that, and have been for quite a while, that they're going to, I think, do great. Um, yeah, let me make a note here. May I see the sticky pad? Random arms, thanks. So, yes, add it to my to-do list of sticky notes. Post... L 471s and 174s. We'll get that done soon. Let's see, where can I put this where it won't block the camera? Right there. <laughs> there we go. And thanks for the reminder. We've been meaning to do that for a while. It's been busy though. I mean, we're building a warehouse and got all these things. Shipped a bunch of fish today. Like, whew. It's a busy life. It's a good life, but it's a busy life. Reese Huffman, I'm saving to buy five Corydoras crucienses from you. Very excited. Tips on how to spawn them. Well, that's awesome, Reese. Um, the crucienses are amazing, super rare, and cute as a button. So I'm glad you're getting them. Um, for spawning them for Corys, lots of food and clean water. Um, one thing, if they're nice and fat and sassy, is if you get a low front, like the pressure drops because a rainstorm is coming in, um, and you do like a large water change, say 50% or something like that, and the new water that goes in the tank is, I don't know, five degrees cooler or so than maybe even a little more than the water you took out, that can help trigger them to spawn. But lots of food, lots and lots of food. Um, I've got a group of Aspidorus, um, which one? Raymundi, excuse me, which I've had for quite a while. And they would spawn every now and then, but not very often. Then I moved them into a tank that has some uh, bushy-nosed Placostomus babies. And so with tanks like that, I keep food in front of the fish all the time. So we're feeding in the day and at night, I also feed them. And with that extra food, those aspidors, which are basically a corridor, they're they're a corridor for all intents and reasons, right? As far as the hobbies is concerned, um, they're now spawning all the time. 
and so for me, that was the only change, more food. I doubled the food. So not only did I feed during the day, but I also fed at night because that's when I like to feed the plecos. And the quarries will eat anytime, day and night. So lots of food, lots of spawning. And I hope you can spawn the cruciensis because that would be great to get more of them out in the hobby. That would be awesome. Samuel Joseph Fernald. Do you foresee doing any summer tub breeding of fish in your new warehouse with all the new space? Looks like you guys have a lot of outside space too. Um, kind, kind of-ish. Um, I think that for the first year or two, we're going to be so busy operating and keeping up with what we have inside that it's going to be a little difficult to do outside stuff. That's the honest truth. Um, so as a startup, we don't have any fat to trim. <laughs> what do I mean by that? <laughs> we don't have any like extra employees or anyone who's free to like go do extra things. It takes everything we have to take care of our customers, to take care of our fish, um, do things the way we do them and to expand. It's like there, we work really long hours. We work really hard and, um, I can't imagine asking any more of my team. So because of that, no, like we're a small startup company. As companies grow though, and I, I mean, we're gonna avoid this as much as possible because we don't want to yeah, have a bunch of excess employees that are sitting around with nothing to do. But um, as we grow invariably, what happens with the company is you have to have enough employees that you can cover if someone's sick or if someone, I don't know, has a baby or if someone, you know, fill in the blank, right? So you have to have enough employees to be a little bit flexible as, as you grow and have to deal with the realities of life and work, right? That you have and that your employees have. And so in a case like that, there might be a little bit of extra time where people can do that. And I have thought about it. I've thought about how, where I'd put them and how I'd run water to them and how I would drain them and things like that. Cause I'd want that to be like on the rest of the system. So it's all automated and taken care of. So I have thought of that, but it's a, it's a fond thought for the future that may or may not ever be realized, but it'd be fun. It'd be really fun. B. Wood, you just shipped me seven pearl gouramis today. Anything special I should do when I get them tomorrow? No. Um, in fact, I think the less special care we take of new fish, the better. I think sometimes people get think that the more they do for the new fish, the better off it'll be and we can kill them with kindness. So what I've found to work the best in my experience over the years is the simple temp and tank method or plop and drop, some people call it. So all you're trying to do is get the temperature of the water inside the bag with the fish, more or less equal with the water in the aquarium they're gonna go into. And then you let them get them out of the bag, put them right into the tank, right? You know, you pour them through a net so you're not putting a bunch of polluted water in your tank, but um, drip acclimation and all that. And I know, I know I'm going to raise hackles on people. If drip acclimation works for you and you've done it for years and it's what is successful for you, do it. Like do it. You do you. 
But for me, I've, I've tried lots of ways to do it with lots of kinds of fish. And here's what I would suggest. When the fish arrive, and hopefully you're there and can get them out of the box as soon as they arrive, turn off the lights on the aquarium they're going to go into. It's probably nothing worse for, well, there are things worse. It's not very good for a fish that's been in a dark box for, you know, several hours to suddenly be floated in a tank right up next to a bright light, right? That's, that's shock. That hurts your eyes. So turn off the light, take the bags, put them in the tank. They're sealed, right? They're just floating in the tank. After 10 to 15 minutes is usually all it takes. Um, take the bag, cut it open, pour the fish through a net, and then put it right in the new tank. That's how I would do that. Um, the pro gourmies you're getting are pretty cool. They were uh, bred by a hobbyist uh, in Washington State. So they're aquarium bred and raised. They came in looking great. Um, you're not going to have the problems you can get with imported gouramis with the stress of the supply chain and the, uh, the tuberculosis that is so prevalent in, in imported gouramis, the mycobacterium. So um, I think they're going to do really well for you. T-Dub, I said it right. Dan's Fish Room, what's your thoughts on community tank with Denison Barbs and Angelfish? 75-gallon quantities, plants. I've done it, no problems. My Denison Barbs and my Angelfish got along great. They were in this tank behind me, but I've also done it in some 75-gallons with smaller Denison Barbs. Um, no problems. As far as quantities, um, I would say you've got to be the judge of that. How you know? I don't know the setup well enough. Uh, what kind of filtration, all that, all that stuff, well enough to know how many you want to get in there. I don't know how much you feed. I don't know um, how much water you change, how often, any of, I don't know your water chemistry. So I would say you've got to be the judge of that one. But in a 75 gallon, I think you could get, I would start with six of each, let's say, and see how it goes from there. Something like that. Um, plants. Yeah. I, I love plants in a tank. I like plants. I can't kill floating water Sprite is amazing. You just take some water Sprite, throw it in your tank under heavy light. And in my experience, it almost always turns into this amazing floating mass with big roots going down and leaves coming up out of the water and a bunch of leaves across the surface of the water as well. So that's one that I really like, but yeah, I, I think plants are awesome. Um, and water sprites, one of my favorites because it grows fast. So it sucks up a lot of nitrates and nitrites and all that stuff. And it's really hardy. And if you want to plant it in the ground or the soil or the rocks or whatever you got, you can. If you don't want to do that and you just want to let it float, you can do that. It's a very versatile plant. So I don't know. That's a good one to start with. Gorjakov. <laughs> Just reminds me of growing up in the 80s, you know, at the end of the Cold War. What fish could use if you wanted to do something different than Cory for a new aquarium? Let's see. What fish could you use for this? Different than Cory's for a new aquarium. So if what you're saying is you would like a fish that would fill the same niche as a Cory in an aquarium but is not, I'd go with Aspidorus. They're awesome. Let me show you. They are these. Aspidorus, lots of kinds of them. Here's, 
the main, I mean, they're pretty much a quarry, but a little different. They're more elongated, they're small, and they're very fast. So they're, they're quick little swimmers. So they're like a quarry, but a little bit different. Now, if you don't want those, there's, I would look into, for the bottom, there's all kinds of neat gobies that stay in the bottom, some of which will, you know, scrape rocks and things like that and kind of help maintain algae control and all that kind of stuff. The stiffodons I'm thinking of. Um, what else could go down there and kind of, lots of different kinds of catfish could do it. Um, something besides a quarry in the niche of a quarry. Oh, the shadow cats were pretty awesome. If you haven't kept shadow cats, and I don't have any anymore, I hope to get more at some point. But oh, <laughs> it's like showing pictures of like black panthers and stuff. Shadow catfish. Let's see here if I can see any here. Yeah. So here they are. These guys. These guys are super cool little miniature fish. Um, little predators, but, you know, peaceful if they can't swallow you. So that's another one to look at. Um, oh, something else might be blind cave tetras. Now, they're going to be very active and uh, they could bother other fish in the tank. If you have fish that don't like to be in contact with their neighbors, you know, they're probably not a good choice. But I don't know if the tank's empty or... Uh, you have other, you know, I don't know, even Danios, other active kind of friendly, don't mind if they get bumped into in uh, kinds of fish, then that might work. And they'll definitely clean up on the bottom. I don't know, Gorgachev, that's that's kind of my thoughts. Liquid Zoo only fins. So rather than removing the old glass, you just add another piece of glass and silicone it in as if you'd replace the entire piece. Makes sense. Yeah. So strip the silicone on all the seams, um, not in between the glass, but inside the tank. Get all the silicone off. You got this little crack in the corner. You got your little piece of glass or acrylic. When you go to reseal the silicone you just stripped off, you also put that in. And now you've got, that covers the cracks. Now you want to put the silicone on the little glass patch in such a way that it's around all the edges and there's a lot of silicone on it, right? So it's sturdy and, um, and there's no place for the <laughs> water to leak out of the patch. You got to surround it completely, but yep, that's how it works. Oh shoot. I just saw something from get gills, AKA random arms. Um, and then it jumped on me. <laughs> I'm sure he can tell me. Yeah. I can't see it. What was it, Jonathan? Nothing. Oh, Okay. I was probably saying tag your name. Okay. Apparently there's nothing important. Adam's Aquatic Addiction, indeed, is it not? You know, before I get to you, Adam, um, there's 218 people here. I want to do the uh, giveaway right now so that folks that show up at the very last minute in the hopes to win and weren't here for the long haul don't get the reward. I want you folks that were here early and been stalwart through the whole stream whole stream through the whole stream to be the winners. So let's do it now. So 
Got 150 eligible entries, 151 for the Black Paradise Fish that we're giving away today. And the winner is JCP8587. Congrats. You have won. Thanks for being a subscriber since September 2020. That's awesome. Thanks for subbing. And uh, you've won some Black Paradise Fish. You have two minutes to chime in. Let us know that you're here and claim your winnings because you do need to be present to win. Now I'm going to get to Adam's Aquatic Addiction. Looking to start a Shell Dweller Tank, want Neolamprologus, Cotopunctatus, Tank Mates. What would you recommend looking to do shells on one side with 40 Breeder and a Rockscape on the other? I have to be honest with you, Adam. Oh, we're looking at that. There we go. I have never kept Cotopunctatus myself long-term. I've kept them in stores I've worked at and things like that. Um, but I do believe what I would do is I'd refer you, if one of the mods could link um, the video I did with Chris Carpenter, who has all kinds of shell dwellers. He has one large tank. I believe it's 125 gallon. And if I remember right, if I remember right, it's been a couple years since I made that video. There's Cotopunctatus in there with several other species. So that might be a video to look at. It's, I think it's the last tank I do in the video. So if you want, you know, skip to the end. Um, and if you see Cotopunctatus in there, if I'm remembering correctly, then that mix is one to start with. But I haven't kept that fish in my personal collection long-term. And when I kept it in stores and things, we, we probably kept it by itself. Um, if we kept it with anything, it would have been short-term. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I feel like if I told you something there, I would be just making it up. And I don't want to do that. So check out Chris Carpenter and what he does. Or anyone here, if you keep Cotopunctatus with another species, would you chime in and let Adams know um, what works for you? Alex, hello, the secret history living in your aquarium. Get yourself a half gallon of gas, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, gas prices are fun, aren't they? Bex Fish Room. Keep up the awesome work, Dan. Already making a fish list I want from you for the 60 breeder. I'll be getting soon. Awesome, Bex. Sounds like you're doing your part for world peace by getting more aquariums. I think if everyone had more aquariums, they'd be happier and we'd have world peace. That's my take on that's my take on global affairs. <laughs> Curl Kitty 08. Thank you so much for the super chat. I appreciate it. And the cute sticker. Right back at you. Thanks for the support, folks. Always appreciated. Never required, but it makes my wife super happy when money falls out of the computer screen. Crypt Keeper Aquatics. Temp swings 83 to 84. Is this the uh, beta? Ammonia nitrite 0, nitrate 5 or less. Planted. Hard tap water. Dose prime in age two days before water changes. Crypt Keeper, it sounds like you're doing a good job. I'd be worried, though, if... if they've suddenly got lethargic. I mean, that's often the harbinger of something breaking out. So yeah, if, if the fish has been acting one way and then suddenly it's acting another, it's lethargic and things, then to me, that is worrisome. Something you might want to try. Um, bettas are very, very prone to a disease called velvet and it's often hard to see. It's a little parasite that gets, it's 
exoparasite, right? It's on their skin and their scales and stuff. It's tiny little, almost looks like tiny little gold dust, like real coppery or gold colored dust. Almost is what it looks like. Really hard to see. So maybe get yourself a light, like a nice flashlight, a bright light, and take a look-see at that fish really carefully. If you see all these tiny little gold dust powder almost coating the fish, then um, that might be something to to treat. In my experience, uh, bettas get velvet more often than anything else. And often the first sign is they can be a little lethargic. Hopefully you don't have it. I'm not saying you do, but it's something I would check for. Besides that, uh, if it's not that, if you don't see anything obvious, um, I don't know. 83 to 84, good parameters, hard water. I mean, bettas like hard water. That's not bad. That helps with osmotic stress and all that stuff. Sounds like you're not just dosing with water fresh out of the tap that's not stable. So sounds like you're doing it right. Crowntail Half Moon, can one use dechlorinator on tap water for Daphne cultures? I have new dechlorinator from Microbellift. It's dechlorinator and water conditioner. It removes chlorine, chloramines, and heavy metals. I don't know, Crowntail Half Moon. Um, I've kept a lot of Daphnia, but I've never used chlorinated water in their cultures. I've always either had well water or used a carbon block to remove the chlorine before I used it. So I do not know. I'm sorry. Does anyone here know? Um, is that water conditioner slash dechlorinator okay for Daphne cultures? Because I don't know. Dragon layer. Want to see how bettas live in the wild in Thailand? Watch Frank's bettas on YouTube. Yeah, there's some really cool footage of bettas out there. Absolutely. I say I think that's a good idea. Pewfish zone. What are you describing the, when you are describing the water chemistry of people that have a sick fish question? I don't hear you talk about GH and KH that much. This could be a problem as well, right? I don't think so. Um, I would, with a beta, I would have trouble believing that it's a KH or GH issue. Um, if they've been keeping this beta for a while, in the same water. So bettas can live in really soft, soft black water, right? Or they can live in really mineral rich water, if we're talking betta splendens. Um, so for me, no, I that's not something that I would probably check. Now, if they normally have hard water and suddenly they test and it's super soft and acidic, then either they're they've got old tank syndrome happening or I don't know, something happened with their local municipality or something like that, I guess. But no, unless, as long as the parameters are pretty stable with GH and KH, I honestly would not be concerned about that. Now, that's me, I don't know everything, so I could be dead wrong, but it's not something I would be worried about. Now, if it's a ton of variation happening with hardness, yeah, that's a problem, but I don't think that's probably the case. Orange cones. So once the warehouse is open and running well, you can't use the well once the warehouse is built as an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's a prophecy. <laughs> do not do something. Ha ha ha. Yeah, that's true. But I can say, well, you know, I'm trying to manage this warehouse. 
we're really busy. <laughs> I know, write down a good list of excuses for your orange cones. <laughs> Mitchell Broom, are the Corridors CW140 spawning for you yet? They were in the holding tank for me. Um, I haven't seen them spawning yet, so I actually don't think they are. But it could be, what's the temperature in that tank? It's the upper 70s. I might need to drop the temperature for them to spawn. But they're doing great. All the fish we got from you, man, are doing awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you. That being said, they very well could have spawned. They're in that tank with some um, splash tetras and um, oh, something else. What else? So, I mean, they could have spawned and the spawn could have been eaten really quickly because there's some fish in there that could definitely do that. Tyler Brown. Where did you buy all the tanks for your warehouse? I'm looking to buy about 100 here fairly soon. So I bought them direct from the manufacturer. Um, there's, there's several tank manufacturers out of there, you know, out there. Um, see which one you like best and yeah, make an order. Now I will say I, I, I was short just a couple tanks and so I went to my local Petco last week to get them and I could get them at Petco for less than I could buy them from the manufacturer. <laughs> but they were doing a big sale where they happened to have 40 gallon breeders half off that week. So I got really lucky. I don't think that it's normally they're a very normally they're a lot more expensive. They're like one hundred and nine dollars, one hundred ten dollars each. But they were on sale for fifty five bucks. So cheers. Yeah, we got so lucky. Lefty's here. Hey, Lefty, good to see you. Oh, I forgot about the giveaway. <laughs> I usually do it at the end, so I wasn't even thinking about it. JCPA 587 is like, uh, been here for a while. <laughs> Congratulations, JCP8587. You've won some Black Paradise fish. Um, if you'd send me an email, hello, H-E-L-L-O, hello at dancefish.com with your first name, your last name, and your mailing address, and just, you know, hey, I'm the guy that won the giveaway, um, then uh, we'll get those out to you. Now, oh, and back to that question about hardness and bettas, GH and KH and bettas. I think as long as the hardness is stable, basically what I was trying to say, if the hardness is stable, then, then I don't think it's going to be concerned to the betta. Okay, now Buno52. My spotted Congo puffer I got from you loves Viber Bites. How do I transition her to Rapashi? So with puffers, uh, the way I do it with Congo spotted puffers and Amazon puffers and stuff, is I just do a slow introduction. So before you're gonna feed the Viber Bites, drop in some Rapashi and just, just leave it in there for a while. Get it out before it starts to like decompose or turn to powder or whatever, right? But have Rapashi in front of them. They're not gonna eat it, that's okay. Remove it, feed them Viber Bites, feed them snails, feed them scuds, you know, all that stuff. Next day, same thing, feed them some Rapashi. After a couple weeks, They'll eventually, like, eventually, they'll, like, get curious and they'll pick at it. 
they'll probably spit it out and not eat it. And then a little while, a few days later, they'll be picking at it and eating a little bit. And then pretty soon you drop in the repashing and it's like this horde of puffers on it, right? So it's just time. Give them, put it in the tank as often and as long as you can and still be able to net it out because they're not going to eat it. So you don't want it to decompose in there, right? Um, but that's the secret. Same with vibrobites. That's the way we get them to eat vibrobites. When we first get them in, we feed them scuds because they can't resist scuds even if they're super emaciated or whatever, which luckily the spotted Congo puffers come from a good breeder and they're not emaciated. But Congo puff or um, Amazon puffers is a different story. Um, those can come in often very emaciated, but they'll still eat scuds because they just can't resist. So we get them eaten. Then we'll get some frozen bloodworms in them, right? We're just trying to get them fattened up a bit. Um, once we've done that, then we take other foods like rapashi or heck, those spotted Congo puffers will eat pretty much anything at this point. We've trained them to eat tons of stuff. They'll eat uh, carnivore pellets. They'll eat massivore pellets. They'll eat all, all kinds of stuff. But um, the, the trick is keep it in front of them. Get them used to it. Eventually, they'll take a bite. And eventually, they'll start swallowing the bite. But you can't be in a rush. And you have to be able to take the food out before it rots in there. Jeremy, get Gil should host the stream next time. It would be sick. All right. You're up, Random Arms. <laughs> I don't think Random Arms has any wish to do that. Adam's Aquatic Addiction. Looking to start a shell dweller tank. Okay, I already got that one. It's 8.18 already. Man, we've blown through this joint. So we've got 12 more minutes. Okay, let's see how many more of these questions and comments we can get to. B. Wood, thanks for the info, and I'll let you know how they arrive. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, sorry, chat just jumped. So let me scroll up. Wait, what? Regina Philandes, I just took 100 Cato Punctatas to my LFS. Oh, that's awesome. People in your area are luxy. Luxy indeed. So Regina, did, did you keep them? Probably not if you're raising have a breeding program, but do you keep them with any other species long-term with success? If so, would you let us know? Okay, here we go. Wendy. Hello, Wendy. I'm new to sparkling garamis. Mine spawned, I mean, sparkling G's, I, I would imagine we're talking about garamis. Mine spawned three days ago under Anubius. Today, bubbles, eggs, gone, but male is still guarding the area. Could fry still be in there? So many plants cannot see them. Yeah, I mean, they could be. Sure. Um, you could have fry up under there that are kind of stuck to the leaf of the plant with like a little adhering string that they have on their head. Um, or three days ago, I mean, the, the development speed is so um, tied to temperature. Um, and I don't know it, what temperature they develop. You know, at 75 degrees, they develop this fast. At 80 degrees, they develop this fast. Like, I, I don't know all those details. But um, it could be for sure. And it could be they're already free swimming and he's still just kind of in guard mode. So, but yeah, it's possible. So many plants can't see him. Yeah, I mean, that's when you have the most success with those little fish spawning. If you haven't done it yet, you might want to start an infusoria culture or a green water culture. That might help uh, get them going. Although if it's like a nice show tank or something, 
and you put green water in there, <laughs> you might never get it out. But um, Infusoria would be a good one to start. Samuel Joseph Fernald. Okay, hang on. Chologaster cornuta is an awesome native fish. I think it's super underrated. Looks and acts like a little biker. Might be a good one to try and source. Is that a bowfin? What is that? I mean, there's a native fish. Like, bowfins, I think, kind of resemble snake heads a bit. Let's see here. Oh, what is this? Oh, the swamp fish. Yes, I've never kept this fish. I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, I've seen pictures. I've read articles about it and stuff. Thanks for the tip. Yeah, that's the one I've never seen in person, I don't think. Acts like a biker. Or Bashir, whatever you want to say. <laughs> Stephen P. 2003, Aquartics, throwing down a super chat. Thank you so much, not Stefan. We really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> thanks for the cute number one flag and for being here and for participating. And I'm a fan of what you do, man. Keep keep doing it. Dennis Christensen, I think I got the last four of your shadow cats, but I haven't seen them since I put them in heavily planted tank with wood and rocks. Yeah, I mean, if it's heavily planted, that could be true. Do they not come out for food, though? Ours would smell food and the horde would come out. They would be like, so we have like uh, flower, flower pot bases and stuff that are kind of tipped over and rested on a pipe so they can all get under there or they're hanging out under the filter. We also in that tank have um, kind of a big clump of java moss. But as soon as the... Well, not as soon as we put the food in. Within a few seconds, they would smell it and they'd just come on out. So, I mean, sometimes heavily planted tanks are like all heavily planted. But if like half is planted and then there's an open area, I wonder if you fed over in the open area if they would start coming out and you could see them. But glad you got them. Hope they're doing well. Who knows, right? Can't, can't see them. They're cool little fish, though, for sure. T-Dub. Uh, what do you think about Dennis and Barb's? Oh, I already got that one. Maria Z reminding folks to type the at dance fish so it turns bright orange like so. This bright orange box in chat so I can see it. Yes, please. And Chris Hernandez, what was your question? So, folks, when you ask a question or comment, please just... Uh, type it once unless I bypass it and don't get to it. Like if chat jumps or I somehow don't see it, then feel free to post it again. But I see that Mastum showed them was, uh, was timed out. I don't know why. I don't know if they were just being naughty and uh, negative or sweary or political or something like that. But often it's just because you're spamming and they've been asked not to. So let's just keep that in mind, folks. Where is that? I'm trying to find that... Uh, Chris Hernandez. Scrolling up, Chris. But I don't see you. I'm sorry, Chris, I can't find it. But if you would uh, make it so it highlights for me in bright orange, then I'll try to get to it. Oh, there you go. You listed it below. Good job. So, Chris Hernandez, can you tell us more about the CW123s? Was looking at your website. Yeah, so let's take everyone on a little field trip here to dancefish.com. And look at these together. 
I'm streaming, so a little slow. CW123. Wait, can I tell you about those? Is there a space? I'll do 123. Okay, there we go. So these guys are really cool. That is a picture. Okay, let me see if I can. There we go. So this picture was taken just a few days ago. Was it last week? Yeah, we took this picture just last week. And we don't doctor these up, guys. We're not like, let's let's oversaturate this. Let's make it look way nicer than it actually is. We don't do that. What we do is we try to make our picture look like the fish actually looks when it looks its best. Um, and they really do have those yellow fins. So what they look like, they're, they remind me a lot of a napoensis, Corridor's napoensis, or a um, um, elegans type fish. They kind of have that variety, maybe between, let's see if we have it here. So see this one, how there's a lot less markings on it. I don't know if that's sexual dimorphism, if males and females look different. They, they do in some quarries, not often, but in some quarries, there's a little bit of that. And then some of them have more of this body pattern and pattern in the fins. See that difference? But they've got these yellow fins. So I got these from Peru. They came in... Um, as the C123 yellow, and, and I didn't list them for a long time because to me, I couldn't tell for sure if that's what they were. So it took a while before they settled in and the yellow appeared. Also, they, they grew a bit, which helps. And once I saw those yellow fins appear, I was like, okay, they actually are. And I listed them, what, last week, and I think they sold out super fast. But they're really neat fish, and they, they really do have that nice yellow. I would I would say they're like an elegance with that variable body pattern, or lack thereof. Some are cleaner, but they do have that nice yellow finish. However, they did not display it until they settled in quite nicely. So once they get to a new home, it might take a little while before they uh, settle in. And the reason I couldn't find it is um, we have these listed as C-123 instead of CW. Um, because that's how they were sold to us. But Chris, I really like them. I, again, for a while I was like, oh, I don't know if I could sell these as this because they didn't have the yellow. But once they developed it, man, they're, they're cool little fish. Well, they're cool without it too. They look like an elegance a lot. Fishaholic, I added the Viber Bites to the Rapashi. Ah, and slowly reduced the amount of Viber Bites. That's a good one. Or you could do bloodworms or whatever. So this is good. This is probably a better way to introduce puffers to Rapashi than I do. Um, if you mix in a little bit of what they're loving, Viber Bites or frozen bloodworms or whatever, into the Rapashi, and then slowly reduce the amount of, of Viber Bites or bloodworms or whatever, that, that would probably totally work. Fishaholic, yeah, I think your way's better. <laughs> We only have two more minutes. Okay, let's try to get at least one more in. Brookie Sam, any tips on importing killifish eggs? Looking to get some into the U.S., but navigating laws, etc., is proving to be difficult. Need to get some of these rare killi species. So back in my day, we just ordered them. But I was a teenager. <laughs> or at least a college kid, right? We just ordered them and they'd show up. 
Now, I haven't done it in so long. I'm not sure what the laws are exactly, but I expect that to do it really legit, you probably need an import license and you probably have to go through all those channels. So that would be my suspicion. I haven't looked into it closely, though, for a long time, just because I haven't done it for a long time. Last time I did this, I was in college, uh, bringing eggs in from out of the country. So I don't know, Brookie, but I bet you legally would need to get an import permit. Okay. Well, this is weird. One more and then we'll go. Rita R. The other day I woke up to find the L173 Zebra Pleco that I bought from you floating on her back. Is that weird? She swam around on her back for about an hour. That's weird to me. Um, I guess after that she righted herself and is fine. Yeah, I'd say that's odd. Unless they were upside down like under a piece of wood or under a leaf of a plant like grazing or something like that. But if they were like free swimming upside down, that's super weird for, for an L173 Pleco. Yes. What does it mean? I have no idea. Um, although I will say this, sometimes I have floating water Sprite in some of my Pleco tanks. And sometimes they'll come out into the water Sprite and turn upside down and like get up under the leaves and look for extra bits of food. Um, that's kind of they're trying to tell me, hey, more food, buddy. <laughs> so they will do that when they're hungry. But if it's just free swimming around on its back, yeah, that's super weird. And I don't know what that could be. Yeah, odd. Well, on that strange. Oh, here we go. Aquaballs. The Cotopunks, Cotopunctatus, are okay with other Tanganyikans as long as they are not breeding. Okay. There you go. That's Aquaballs experience. Thanks for chiming in. With that, um, we're going to sign off because it's, it's past time. Often, and I forgot to check earlier, I always mean to, often Punchy Paints does a live stream about half an hour after me, about 9 p.m., um, mountain time. So 11 o'clock Eastern standard time. I don't know if she's going tonight, but often she does. So if you want more fish geekiness, check the punchy paints, YouTube channel, and see if there's her stream listed, uh, for a few minutes from now. I want to thank my moderators for doing what they do. Thanks so much. Everyone that sent money to us. Thank you so much. Always appreciated. Never required, but we are a startup and every little bit does help at this stage. And I mean that. Like, I mean, we, we are very appreciative. So thank you. Um, everyone that left a question or a comment and, uh, you know, was part of the discussion. Thanks for being here and helping other people that had questions and comments in the chat that I didn't know how to answer. Appreciate all the community supporting each other. Um, everyone lurking, hail the lurker nation. Everyone that is watching this on the replay. Hi. Hello from the future. Everyone listening on the podcast, thanks for listening. Thanks to Michael Mellier for making that possible. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I sincerely hope you all have a good one. Bye-bye.